Good evening, Shrew North. How's it going? Um, it's quite a privilege to be up here. Um, so one of the uh, um, recently, right, a lot of people I know have been doing partners, um, like Quinn, Ryan, my mom. Um, it's been really cool just to see. And I was thinking about like going through partners. And I remember there's this one chapter where it's uh, about serving your church. And there's um, this one question. And like I was new to Compass, so it was kind of weird. But I was like, what would you change about Compass? And so I started thinking about this. And I was like, you know what? We need a church sign. Like, you know, those signs, like uh, they usually have like a funny message on them. But it's also like to get people to come. You know, like, you replace the little letters. I think we have a couple of them. Um, in the back. So that first one, right, obviously, seven days without prayer makes one week. Um, And I just think if we had signs like this, or like the next one, um, they would really attract people to our church and make them want to come and help them realize theological truths as well, like this next one we have. Um, So just see the urgency of repentance, you know, and things like that. Um, But this last sign that we have um, is my favorite. And um, it actually is a very serious sign, um, if you think about it, right? Give Satan an inch, and he will be your ruler. Um, and I love this sign because it shows us what's at stake, right? Um, how this Christian life is, is serious. And as Pastor Rod said last week, the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And I loved our series through First Peter so much, um, in fact, that I like to stay in the book. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to go to verses 11 and 12. Um, So verse 11 starts, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And with this verse, right, verse 11, beloved, think about that. Peter, um, a pastor, right, he's an older believer. He cares about his congregation. He cares about fellow Christians and haven't even started yet, and we're already on a sidebar. But um, your older brothers in Christ, your pastors, your leaders care about you, and they want to help you, and they want you to grow. Um, And so use that while you're here, especially with your True North leaders, but Anyways, beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh. So I urge you, right? We see the urgency of removing ourselves, abstaining from the passions of flesh. That's the first thing I want us to write down is point number one, approach sanctification seriously, Um, right? We need to be abstaining. It's urgent that we are abstaining from the passions of the flesh. So what what does that mean, right? Usually we think of abstinence and we think of health class, but abstain means to distance oneself. It means to withhold from, to flee. Um, And I don't know when the last time you guys read Philemon was, but in the book of Philemon, um, basically we have a slave and his name's Onesimus and he's running from Philemon and Paul is telling Philemon to accept Onesimus back because he's now his brother in Christ. He's repented of his sins. Um, And Basically, the description is that Onesimus is abstaining from Philemon. He's a runaway slave. The punishment in Roman times for runaway slaves is crucifixion, right? Philemon has every right 
to crucify Onesimus and to kill him. And Onesimus believes that he will, and so he's fleeing. He's putting as much distance between his former master and himself as he can, right? He's moving to different countries. He's hiding. He's not letting anyone know where he is. And this is the same way we need to approach our dealing with our sin. Um, and if we think about why, right? Why should we do this? Why should we be so serious about this? Um, why is Peter urging us, right? It's because we're sojourners and exiles. We don't belong here, right? Sojourners and exiles aren't citizens of, this, of the area that they're in, right? They're, they're different. Um, but also that means we're citizens of somewhere else. If we're not citizens here, we're citizens of somewhere else. And where, where is that? And that's in heaven, right? If we read the book of Hebrews, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. And how? How does this work? It's because we've been, we've been bought with a price. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, um, 19 and 20. It says that, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right? We're renting our body. We've been bought. It is not our own. So think like this, right? I drive, I drive a minivan. I don't know if you guys know that about me. I, but it's not my minivan, thankfully. Um, it is my mom's minivan, right? And so when you drive a car that's not yours, you think more when you drive. You realize, look, this is, especially when it's someone like your mom's car, you're like, I don't want to mess this thing up. Um, and you do what the owner would want to do, right? You don't do what I want to do or what you would want to do. And so if like someone approaches me and like, hey, I really like that minivan. It looks great. I want to buy it off you. I don't have jurisdiction to sell them the minivan, right? I can't make decisions about it on my own. I have to consult the owner. Um, and so since we can't, we don't have jurisdiction of our life, right? We've been bought with the price we have to do what the owner wants. And clearly the owner here is commanding us to abstain from passion of the flesh. And some more reasons or more reasons to approach this seriously. Us and our sin, we don't, we don't belong together. Um, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16, we went here in our dating series. Um, but Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we associate this most commonly with dating. But for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, right, or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And we'll stop there because we are the temple. The temple is set apart. The temple is consecrated. We can't be with our sin anymore. We don't belong with our sin. We have to be not just separate from our sin, but sanctified from our sin. Our sin can't be, have any hold on us anymore because it's just, um, if we go to the, the next thing about our sin, right? See the cost of your sin. And that's why we can't be with our sin anymore. Um, in Isaiah 53, we're not going to go there for time's sake right now, but um, it talks about that Jesus was crushed. He was pierced. He was beaten for our iniquities. Um, we were bought and we weren't just bought, we were bought with a heavy, costly price. In Acts 2, when Peter is preaching to um, the Jews, some of whom were um, there with, with Jesus when he was crucified, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain 
that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? These Jews, many of them were probably there when um, Jesus was being crucified and when Jesus was before Pilate. They were there and they were yelling, crucify him. And they wanted to see Jesus die. They wanted to see Jesus be tortured and they wanted to see um, this imposter be killed. And we can say, oh, well, they crucified Christ. But why did Christ have to die? Because of our sin, right? Christ had to die for my sin, for your sin. It was our sin that crucified Christ. It was our voices that said, crucify him. We should have been there with the nails driven into our hands. We should have been on that cross. But instead, Christ was there. God takes our sin seriously, and so should we. And he even takes it so seriously to um, write in Matthew 18 that if anyone causes someone to sin, if anyone causes one of these children to sin, he would be better off tying a millstone around his neck and jumping into a body of water. Now think about that. Drowning yourself is better than causing someone else to sin. That is how serious our sin is. That is why we must approach this with urgency, with passion, to distance ourselves from sin. Um, So now that we understand why we must sin, right? Well, why not? That's dumb. Um, We're not supposed to sin. Now we understand um, the importance, right? The severity of fleeing from our sin. Let's look at how we can put this into practice. How can we do this rightly? How can we distance ourselves from our sin and pursue Christ at the same time? Um, in First Peter, right, one sixteen, it says, "Be holy, for I am holy." Right? It's God in from Levitical law saying, "Be holy, for I am holy." This means we must be holy. This is a command. This is an imperative. This is not an option for a Christian. Be holy, for I am holy. Um, and to quote one of my favorite authors. Holiness is not an option for those who claim to be Christian, so neither are the means of holiness. Right? I, I used to play the trumpet, and um, to be good at anything, right, you have to practice. You have to put in the work. Um, I can't just right now pick up my trumpet and play something cool because I haven't practiced in months. I haven't put in the discipline. I haven't put in the time. I haven't put in the exercise, the study to do this. I can't have the end result without the practice, without the means. And so as Christians, we have to put in the means, the discipline, in order to get the end result. And that's point number two, is to build a disciplined life. Build a disciplined life. Um, Going back to our verse Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And we'll stop there um, because we're looking at this, right? To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We have to deal radically with sin because of the consequences that we've seen because of the severity that we've seen. Sin 
is not good for us, right? Um, sin has consequences later, obviously, but it also has consequences now in your life. It has consequences on you, but also has consequences on your witness, and that's why we have to be disciplined. Um, and we'll start being disciplined privately before we can be set apart publicly. We have to do things on our own when no one's watching before we can actually act and be Christian when everyone is watching. And the first way we have to deal radically with sin is to expose it. Um, Evan actually gave me this illustration. Um, mushrooms, mushrooms grow as a fungus, right? It's, you could say it's a, it's a disease almost. It's, a not, it's not a desirable plant to like see in your garden, right? Um, and mushrooms grow, why do they grow? Because you keep them in the dark and you feed them junk. That is how mushrooms grow. And so sin is like mushrooms in the same way, right? Sin starts in the dark. It starts when no one knows about it. It starts in your heart. And if you don't expose it, if you keep feeding it junk, you're never going to be able to kill it. And so we have to look at our heart. We have to let God's truth and God's word pierce our heart. In James 1, 14 and 15, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully, fully grown, brings forth death. And so our desires, our passions of the flesh, right? That is what gives birth to sin. That's what causes the sin. That's what sparks the sin. And so we have to examine ourselves. We have to look at ourselves and be, okay, where do I sin? How do I stumble? What am I not doing? And one of the best ways to do this isn't actually for you yourself to do this. It's to keep people involved in your life, your small group leader, your friends, right? You have to develop these relationships where they know what's going on. If you keep your sin in the dark, if we keep our sin to ourselves, it's just going to grow and spread and just develop into death eventually, right? We have to keep people involved. So your small group leader is perfect for this. That's why we do small groups. Um, talk to them. Be open with them. It's really awkward at first. It's uncomfortable because we don't want to share our sin. But once you get through that, you realize it's the right thing to do, right? You realize that your leader has probably struggled with the same sin. Your leader isn't going to make fun of you. They're not going to be like, oh, haha, you do this. No, they're going to help you. They care about you. They love you, right? It's, it seems so embarrassing to share your sin, but that's just a trap from the devil to make you self-conscious. And you realize if you don't acknowledge it, how are you going to deal with it? If we don't realize that we, this is an area we struggle and we have to have friends who can help us with it as well. We have to have friends who can hold us accountable, who can have that sideways horizontal relationship. That's the word I was thinking, horizontal um, relationship where um, we can have a, a brother or sister in Christ who can call us out when need be or who can encourage us when we're down and who can just be with us in the day-to-day -day because your leader is not with you every day, but your friends are and they will be. And back to examining ourselves that we do have to do some of this ourselves. Um, and some of the ways we can do that is just to, to pray for conviction. Um, 
pray for, before you go to a church service, right? Pray for conviction from the sermon. Before you do DBR, pray that God would show you where you stumble. Pray that God would use other people, but use the sermon, use his word to pierce your heart and say, this is where I fall short. So now how can I do better? Um, But right, this means we actually have to be listening to sermons. This means we have to think about the sermons. This means we have to be engaged. This means we have to go to small groups. It means we have to answer the questions honestly. It means we have to read our Bibles intentionally. We have to be involved, pray through verses. It's not just checking a box. It's actually spending the time and effort and conscious doing. Um, so then once we, once we see our sin, right, once we expose it, once we face it, then we have to kill it and kill it. This is this isn't an option, right? We can't let it linger. We can't let it develop into anything more. Um, during Captain America Civil War, right, we have that, that airport scene, and everyone's like, oh, this scene's so cool. Um, but what I was, when I was thinking about um, how to explain this, it's like, so team, team Iron Man is, like, they're on the government side, right? So they're trying not to, like, kill anyone. They're trying not to destroy anything. Um, they didn't end up doing that. But... Team Cap doesn't care, right? Because they're already under arrest. They're already just done. And so they're just like throwing cars everywhere and blowing up stuff. And we can't be like Team Iron Man. We can't be trying to just cautiously and just save, safely deal with our sin in terms of, we don't want to be reckless in dealing with our sin, but we have to be ag- aggressive. And we have to have no mercy on our sin. Um, in Hebrews 12, one in, uh, verse 1, um, the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Um, right, cast off, lay aside every weight. Um, you have to be able to willing. You have to be willing to sacrifice some things in order to pursue Christ and be disciplined. Um, if you think about, like, He gave so much more for you, right? How much did Christ do for us? How can we not do this in response to Him? And some of these things might be they might seem normal, right? They might seem like, oh, it's not bad. But Hebrews talks about weights and sin. Those are two different things. And some things might not be necessarily bad in of themselves, but we can't do them in order to follow Christ and represent him well, because that's the goal is before the non-believers, before the Gentiles, is to represent him well. And um, so to do these things, right, to give up some things, we have to remember that the the end goal is the priority. Um, The greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, Ethan Strunk's favorite football player, um, he is old for a quarterback. Um, but what he does to keep in shape and to keep pursuing his priority um, is, part of it is his, he's called his TB12 method. And he wrote like a book about it. Um, I don't know if it's actually legit, but it, apparently it works for him. And I'm not going to argue with the results, but his diet. So I, I printed out like half of it, but basically it says uh, what this one website said is that even more notable than what Brady eats is what he doesn't, what he abstains from, right? He avoids alcohol as well as gluten-containing bread and pasta, 
breakfast cereal, corn, dairy, foods that contain GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, trans fats, sugar, artificial sweeteners, soy, fruit juice, grain-based foods, jams and jellies, most cooking oils, frozen dinners, salty snacks, sugary snacks, sweetened drinks, white potatoes, and prepackaged condiments like ketchup and soy sauce. So, like cereal is not bad. Cereal, there we go. Whether, whether you put the milk in first, you put the cereal in first, it is, the cereal in of itself is not going to harm you, right? You can be a great football player and eat cereal. But Tom Brady says, you know what? I don't want this to get in the way of my ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl. I don't want this to hinder me, to slow me down in my pursuit of Christ. So I'm not going to do it. I'm going to avoid it, right? I'm pretty sure he doesn't put breakfast cereal in his pantry and not eat it. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't put it around him or with him because he doesn't want that temptation there. And some things that might seem normal, breakfast cereal is pretty normal, but if it gets in the way of our goal, if it slows us down, right? Some things like maybe a reputation, right? It might be normal to be popular at school. I wouldn't know anything about that, but <laughs> being, like, ha- being liked by people maybe isn't going to happen. You may have to be willing to give that up to follow Christ. And if you're going to be an evangelistic Christian, a a normal Christian is an evangelistic Christian, by the way. Um, Maybe some fun things, right? Like my senior prom is happening right now, but that's okay because one, I don't really think it's that fun. And two, right? I don't want to put myself in that atmosphere. And so some things you have to give up, even if they're not bad. Like there's just, it could just be a distraction, But a distraction, if it distracts you from Christ, is always a bad thing. Um, Maybe some relationships. We talk about being unequally yoked. Maybe you can't hang out with the same friends anymore. Maybe you can't hang out with, you know, that one person because you know they're going to cause you to stumble. Um, And all these things, right, and dealing with our sin, it's hard. And so we have to run towards something, right? In Hebrews, we're talking about running towards Christ. And in this verse, it says, what? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So we have the negative verb to abstain. We're distancing ourselves from one thing, and then we're going towards Christ. We're keeping ourselves in, with honor in Christ, and we have to treasure God above all else in, in this. Um, and the first way we can treasure, that's not my third point, by the way, but the first thing we can do um, to treasure God above all else is to find our joy in Christ, right? Um, our driving motivation shouldn't be feeling bad for our sin but a grateful and loving response for what Christ has done. All this stuff, that, all this discipline, all this work, I guess you could say, this, this isn't what saves you, right? Christ saves you. Once you're saved, this is a response, right? Once saved, always saved. But to quote Pastor PJ, make sure you're saved, right? But this is um, a response. And so um, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And what I love about this verse is it's, it's if you love me. Obedience is the result of love. We don't, if we don't obey Christ, all this stuff, if we don't love Christ, all this obedience is just going to be drudgery, right? Um, to quote Donald Whitney, discipline without direction is drudgery. And so Uh, What kind of love is this that inspires such radical obedience? Um, In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me 
is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So let's look at this last half of the verse, right? Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So think about your parents, right? Your parent loves you, right? They value you. They treasure you. They cherish you. They wouldn't trade you for a million dollars. They wouldn't trade you for anything in the world. This is exactly the kind of love we need to have, right? A parent, you have to, a parent loving their, their Jesus more than their kid, right? That means they wouldn't trade Jesus for their kid. And it means they would trade their kid for Christ, hypothetically, right? And so Jesus is saying that he's the better treasure. He is absolutely worth it. In Philippians 3.8, Paul says that I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I, that I may gain Christ. Count them as rubbish that I may gain what, right? Christ, not the benefits of being a Christian, not avoiding hell, not fitting in at church, not having a better life, but Christ. Because if we have Christ, we don't need anything else. And so how can we have this joy in Christ and this treasure and find this value in Christ? We have to pray for it. That's where it starts, is to pray for it. Pray that you would love God's law. Pray that you would love God. Pray that you would love God's people. And don't just pray for it once or pray for it every so often, but pray for it every day, beg for it, right? Be persistent in praying for it. Um, and another way we do this is that we obey God's commands. And this might sound weird, but one chapter later in the book of John, John 15, verse 10, um, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And now he just said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. But then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how does this work? How does doing more stuff for Christ help us love Christ more? Well, let's think of it like this. So I, as I mentioned, used to play the trumpet. So I guess you could say I'm a musician. But um, so I know about music, right? I played music. I understand music to a certain degree. So I can appreciate music better than, let's say, Amir, who does not play an instrument, right? And he's not musically inclined. So I can appreciate it more, right? And I can love it more. I find more value in it. Um, and in the same way, like Joseph or Keith loves music and can find more value in music than I can because they know more about it. They understand it more. They spend more time doing it. And this, in the same way, right? If we spend more time getting to know God, if we spend more time and doing the things that God commands us to do, we will come to love him more. Um, but that means we have to make time for God. Um, I keep quoting Donald Whitney, but it's just, joy does not come to you if you're spiritually passive. Rather, joy is cultivated by the things you do. If you don't schedule in focused time in prayer and the word, you will always find other things to do. And so we're going to get real practical right here. And we're going to go, okay, how can we do this? How can we spend time in Christ and abide in Christ? So we can read at a consistent time every day, right? Pick the same time every day. Don't just say, oh, I'll do it when I get home at some point after I finish my homework, because then something else will come up and something else will come up, and you're just never going to get to it. Prioritize it, right? That's why I know so many of us here advocate reading in the morning, because you wake up for the sole reason of reading your Bible. That's it. And then plan, right? Plan to pray. Schedule it in. 
prioritize and guard that time. Say, I'm, for this amount of time, I'm praying and nothing else is happening. And a lot of us say, well, well I'm, I'm too busy, right? I do all this stuff. But um, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, it says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Civilian pursuits aren't necessarily bad things, but we are at war, right? In our verse, it says that the passions of the flesh wage war against our soul. This is serious. This is a big deal. Your Bible reading is a big deal. Your prayer time is a big deal. And so we have to prioritize. We have to make time for it. We have to guard it. Um, but we also have to depend on the Spirit for strength. In Mark 14, 31, um, that's, um, Peter is being his usual Peter self. And Peter says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they, the disciples, all said the same. And now what happens seven verses later? Peter denies Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times, right? So human resolve alone is not enough to follow Christ. Human resolve, we can't do this ourselves. Um, we have to rest in God's grace, God's transforming grace. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. How great is that? God's will is our sanctification. We need God in our sanctification. We have to realize that we will fail, right? Killing sin is hard. Pursuing Christ is hard. We will feel bad, but we have to be encouraged that if we're in Christ, nothing will ever take us from him. Uh, his grace is sufficient for us. No temptation has overtaken us. It's not common to man. He always provides a way of escape. And so now that we've looked at how can we be disciplined in our own lives, right? We've looked at the severity of sin and why this is such a big deal. And now we've looked at it at what we can do in our own lives. Now we go to how we can publicly proclaim God's word and uphold God's honor. And that's the third point is to uphold God's honor. Um, verse 12, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that, this is the reason, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that they may glorify God. That's the goal. We represent Christ, right? We, if you claim to be a Christian, you represent Christ. Um, so it's almost like you're wearing a name tag. And so I work, I work at Ralph's. I actually, I just, my last shift was today because I'll be busy this summer. But I work at Ralph's and um, my name tag, we could pick something to put on our name tag. Like, it was like, I love something. So I was like, I love Jesus. And I, it's on my name tag. But right, if you're a Christian, that's your name tag. Your name tag says, I love Jesus. Your name tag says, like, it's in the, Christian means little Christ. That's what it is. And we can't, like, I can clock out at Ralph's. I can take off the name tag. And no one will know that I work at Ralph's and that I represent Ralph's, right? But we can't clock out of our faith. We can't clock out of Christianity. And why would we want to? Like, it's such a privilege to represent God. He could have chosen anyone or anything to bear his image. But out of all of creation, we have the privilege and the opportunity to bear the image and represent the glory of God and represent him before other people. Um, to quote, Ale but to move on to why it's important, um, Alexander McLaren 
said that non-believers read us a great deal more than they read their Bible. Um, in order to have a credible witness, we must support it with a public life that proves our faith. If these people will never read their Bible, but they read us, what does that mean? We have to emulate what's in the Bible. We have to personify the commands in the Bible, the law, the picture of a Christian that's presented in the Bible. Right? Our conduct gives us an avenue to share the gospel through. At the very least, our conduct should spark conversation of why is this person so different? Why do they respect that teacher no one likes? Why do they never copy the answers even though they're all online? Right? Why do they always thank the refs after the game? It should be different. Our conduct should be so different, right? Because our conduct among the Gentiles that's honorable causes the non-believers to realize something must be different about us. Um, but, right, if, if we're the only Bible they'll ever read, we have to bring the Bible to them. And just because our life may reflect it, that doesn't excuse us from not evangelizing. And um, it, um, there's a, what, I, it's a phrase, it's like, oh, when you, it's about, <laughs> it's about sharing the gospel. And it's like, oh, uh, what you, like when necessary, use words. Um, to share the gospel, you, you need to use words. You need to evangelize. You, need, you, you can't do a shirt, like act out a gospel. You have to use words. And so our conduct has to support that. Our conduct has to line up with that. Otherwise, they'll never listen. But at the same time, our conduct doesn't replace sharing the gospel. They work in tandem. We're representing Christ, right? But think about that. We're representing Christ. We're not representing being a nice person. We're not representing being a cool person, right? The Spirit isn't making us like sanctification. It's not, it says the God's, will, uh, God's will for you is sanctification, right? It's not trying to make us into nicer people. It's trying to mold us into Christ-likeness, right? Nice doesn't cut it, right? Being kind, being even loving doesn't cut it. The glory of God is what cuts it. We're, in the, we're supposed to bear the image of God. That, that's the big deal, and that's so much bigger than ourselves. Um, that's the title of this sermon. It's not about you because, right, the, the point of this, the point of our conduct, the point of our disciplined life, the point of taking our sins seriously is that this is not about us. It's about God's honor. It's about God's reputation. Because uh, in, the, in this verse, it says, when they speak against you as evildoers, then what does it say to do? Defend yourself? Does it say to make an argument about why you're actually a Christian? No, it says keep your conduct honorable with your actions so that they glorify God. It doesn't say so that they affirm your faith. It's so that they glorify God. Christianity isn't about us, right? The message of Christianity isn't that Jesus loves me, right? Because then, or Jesus died for me, right? Because then what's, what's the object of Christianity? Like in grammar, you have like the subject, the verb, and the direct object, right? What is the subject verbing, right? Jesus loves me. What's the direct object of that sentence? It's me. It's the focal point, trademark, of that is me. And so, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity isn't about making our lives better. It's not about finding a church that encourages me, finding friends that encourage me, or 
making us feel loved. It's about the glory of God. It's about honoring the Lord. Jesus died for us so that we could glorify God and make his name known throughout the nations. Jesus didn't die just for us. Jesus died for the Father, for the name of the Lord, so that it would be glorified. So God saved us, not for us, but for him, right? And we might say, well, isn't that selfish of God to demand all of the glory? Well, who is going to get it if it doesn't go to God? Who deserves it more than God? Everything is about bringing honor and glory to God. God's glory is intended to fill the earth. That's the point of creation. That's the point of our discipline in uh, private life. And that's the point of our public, public conduct. Right? If we think Genesis, um, creation displays God's glory. Man, what is man commanded to do? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So man bears the image of God. Man bears, therefore, the glory of God. If you bear God's image, you represent his glory. And so if man bears the image of God and man demonstrates the glory of God, man is commanded to fill the earth. Why? So God's glory can fill the earth. That's the goal. This is what it's all about. Because God's glory is the most important thing, that's why this devotion and this commitment is necessary. It's not for us, it's for him. And so our conduct is the most visible and direct way we glorify God. And on top of that, it has a significant impact on how others glorify God and how others view God. The day is coming when God's glory will be on display in full, right? The day of visitation. On that day, everyone will bow and give Christ the honor and praise he deserves. So when the people that sit next to you in class, or even the people that sit next to you here, when they stand before the Lord, what will the Lord say? What will he say? Will, would God be able to say, I gave you so-and-so, right? I, I gave you this person to, so you could see the joy they had, so you could see the way they carried themselves, the way they conducted themselves with honor. Didn't they invite you to church? Didn't they share the gospel with you to tell you why they did that, why they were so different? That's why we're here, is to spread God's glory. John 15 says, if we abide in Christ, he will abide in us, and we will bear much fruit. If we approach sanctification seriously, build a disciplined life, and uphold God's honor, he will be faithful to use us to, to impact the lives of those around us, to bring glory to him. So let's pray.